please be aware that this is for professional investors only. Good morning. It's Wednesday, the 21st of October 2020. Welcome to Nordea's Morning Espresso. Now, first of all, if you're watching live, you have the option to have the simultaneous translations which are accessible via the button below. And also you can ask questions uh, via another button below. Otherwise, you can always send any questions you might have uh, to Nordea Funds at Nordea. Com. So this morning, as usual, we have our macro update with our senior macro strategist, uh, Dr. Sebastian Gali. Good morning, Sebastian. Good morning. Hey. So uh, last Thursday, the 15th of October, we had yet another much touted uh, hard Brexit trade deal deadline, uh, which has now passed and looks like it's being ignored <laughs> um, and that negotiations are continuing. So maybe you could just bring us up to date with the latest developments uh, regarding Brexit. Sure, the way to look at it is a, it's a grand tango, a very European one, and it only works at the last second. And the last possible second, of course, is somewhere at the beginning of November because it takes about two months for the legislative process to work in, uh, in the United Kingdom. So till then, we have a lot of drama uh, we have the threat of an Australia exit, as uh, Prime Minister uh, tended to name it. Um, but it's it's a difficult process, which is partially priced into the market, particularly uh, the pound, which is a currency of the United Kingdom. Uh, there's a, a lot of weakness uh, in it, and there's probably within it about a 40% probability of a no deal event. So it's a, it's a difficult situation. If you were in the UK invested abroad, obviously it's, uh, it's helping and a no deal Brexit would help depending on the type of assets that, that you have. Um, but we simply don't know. Chancellor Merkel has made a point that uh, we need to give in to some extent to the United Kingdom. So it looks not too bad, not particularly good either. And so you mentioned that, do you, do you think it's all priced in? I mean, you mentioned Sterling there. What's the impact going to be? Well, you can look into different markets to try to figure out how much is priced in, uh, particularly option prices uh, give you a lot of indication in terms of the currency. And the, what you can say is that maybe 40% is priced in. If you do uh, get a no-deal Brexit, you're probably looking at the pound versus euro falling by 4 to 6%, which is a lot for that currency. But uh, all in all, is actually not very much. Okay, we've already jumped to the next slide. So that was a bit of a plot spoiler. But... <laughs> Let's carry it on because uh, what we can't escape mentioning, of course, is is the rising infections that we're seeing um, across Europe and the consequent lockdowns as well. And that all sort of increases the fear of uh, a double dip uh, recession. But meanwhile, in China, where we've just seen the China flag, uh, things couldn't be more different. Uh, everything's looking great. Uh, their economy is back on track. What's going on in China right now? Well, first and foremost, I love emerging markets because I started my career as a as a 
a little student uh, in it in Africa. Um, <laughs> the, what's happening in, in the case of uh, China is we're getting that rebound that we expected and that many people expected. Q3 came in uh, a little bit below expectations in, in terms of consensus, but industrial production was strong in September. Uh, retail sales in September were also very strong. And the message that China wants to give to the rest of the world is that things are going okay, uh, that they are rebounding and that they've uh, maintained basically a good path of growth, having well-contained not initially, but eventually uh, the entire health crisis. And it's something that we are loaded on uh, in terms of our themes, not only a China-led rebound that it should continue, but also that it spreads throughout Asia Pacific. Great, so uh, let's just summarize that in one slide as is our usual way of doing things. Um, so first of all, we have uh, the situation around Brexit. So a no deal Brexit, is likely, um, but much of it is priced in already. Um, and what we're not considering maybe so much is the physical disruptions that we're gonna see. That I, I agree with. It, it's 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 easy to forecast things, but it's when the the system starts to break down that you start to discover things that you do not you do not expect, and that I think is a part which is very difficult to price in. Exactly, and then you know bullish on China, China Q2. I think we saw growth and. And obviously that's continued now into Q3. I'm guessing that we we will imagine that that will happen again in Q4. So uh, China is underinvested and uh, anomalies remain, but perhaps an opportunity. Indeed, and the, the question is whether it becomes so much consensus that it's uh, an issue, but the foreigners make up 3% only of the onshore bond market. They're not present. The term structure in China between the 10-year yield and the two-year yield is quite steep. This is very unique for what is essentially close and advanced economy. Uh, and there are plenty of opportunities both on the corporate side and on the sovereign side within China. Great. Well, thank you once again for your time and uh, look forward to speaking to you in a couple of weeks time. And now we move on to the main section of the Morning Espresso. And today I'm joined by Teda Rust. Uh, Teda is uh, head of emerging market debt at Nordea and is also the lead manager of our Emerging Stars uh, bond strategy. Good morning, Teda. Good morning, Paul. How are you? Hi, I'm good. Thank you. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Excited to hear Sebastian uh, speak about the emerging markets. Like <laughs> he's lining you up nicely, isn't he? Yeah, he is indeed, <laughs> indeed. Like. And and actually, uh, I don't know if you saw this, but last week we had uh, Jeff Sherman from from Double Line and also Steve Friedman, who works over at Mackay Shields, and um, we were actually talking about the U.S. elections. But uh, one conclusion that they both came to as well is that investors need to be considering emerging market debt as part of a diversified portfolio. So uh, it's not just Sebastian, you're getting uh, you're getting support from everyone uh, right no, now. <laughs> that sounds great. I mean, absolutely. Also, if you think of, uh, you know, the low yield environment, basically, then the emerging markets are, of course, still attractive, right? I mean, we can still, uh, you know, get above uh, a quite, quite interesting returns, basically, and quite some interesting income. So I always say anybody basically should, uh, in a low yield environment, look at least into emerging markets debt and do mm. it uh, preferably in a sustainable manner. I mean, that would be my yeah. pitch, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> that, that was going to be my first question, actually, was, yeah. <laughs> was around that, because because what you do is you and the team, of course, is is you run a sort of dedicated ESG uh, fixed income solution and actually a range of solutions um, in the in the emerging market debt space. 
perhaps you could just start by explaining why you feel ESG is so important. You just mentioned it there. You thought it was important. Why is it so important in this asset class? Yeah, I think it, it has to do with, um, I mean, basically how we, you know, with all the challenges that are also in emerging markets debt, right? I mean, let, let's say the, the governance challenges that we sometimes see, for instance, we may pick up on that later in the case of Brazil, where we can debate on whether focus on the short term and exploitation of, um, of the Amazon region basically can lead to short term economic growth, but questions, let's say the, the long term picture in emerging markets debt in the case of Brazil, basically the long-term picture in terms of how, how, you, how you treat your resources and what the consequences are also maybe from the international community. That's one element, so, so governance. Then, of course, the challenge of maybe non-democratic systems. Then also the challenges when it comes to, and particularly to carbon and carbon footprint. I mean, just by the way we constructed our value chains nowadays is we produce a lot in, in emerging markets. Also emerging markets, I mean, we just had the case of China, right? I mean, emerging markets are energy hungry, basically. Yeah. There, there needs to be a lot of energy being produced that often correlates positively with economic growth. So mm. that's another element that is actually important to look at when you invest in emerging markets debt. Yeah, and we'll definitely come back to that Brazil example Absolutely. a bit later. Yeah. Because that's where you got famous, didn't you? <laughs> you were all over the media on that one. So I think that's a super interesting one. And uh, we'll come back to that. But before we, we do, I, you sent through the slides uh, that you wanted to use this morning. And, and uh, I saw this, this first one is super interesting because it relates to uh, lifetime carbon budgets for, for different generations. So perhaps we can, we can pull up this first slide and you can just talk us through uh, what's going on here. Sure. This is actually a study done by uh, by Carbon Carbon Brief, and I mean you can always question the methodology on how you got there and whether whether these numbers are pinpoint accurate. But what what it shows in big picture is basically it relates our personal carbon budgets to to those of next generations. I mean if you if you look for instance, I'm I'm born in Generation X, right? And and I was a citizen or continue to be a citizen of Europe most of the time of my life and I at that point had a carbon budget of 582 tons and this carbon budget of course is in relation to staying at the 1.5 degree uh, Paris agreement in terms of global global warming that we can sort of allow ourselves and right. if you if you if you take that budget and extrapolate it to for instance my children which are post generation Z then you clearly see that they have a fifth of this carbon budget right and all else equal in order if we want to reach this target and this shows for instance why we at Nordea of course also have a climate fund right I mean which focuses yep. on on finding solutions to these challenges and and that is actually in a nutshell what it tells that you know basically our children the next generations will just have to figure out ways to emit less carbon basically yeah so of course there are there are loads of things that we can do to reduce our CO2 emissions, um, and some of them are perhaps more obvious than others. Uh, but there's one in particular that we'd like to address today um, that's perhaps easy to overlook. And uh, and we've got a couple of slides on this, so perhaps uh, we can we can pull up the next one and um, walk through the next few slides now. 
future. This this is actually a study that Nodea has done in the past, and it relates actually lifestyle choices also to systemic choices that you have, right? I mean, so here what you see is um, is basically a, a slide that is showing um, four ways of reducing your carbon footprint. So so that's basically your your personal carbon footprint. I mean, you can yeah. shower less, you can fly less, you can take the train more often instead of your car, and you can only eat um, or you can eat less meat. I mean, these are all, of course, representations of, let's say, carbon intensive activities that we do as individuals and how you can bring your, your um, carbon intensity down in this field. And this has been calculated over, over like a, you know, sort of a long period of time, basically mm -hmm. over, over a course of multiple decades. If you shorten your shower by two minutes and assuming, um, you know, basically you, you shower X amount of times every, every day, basically, then you can emit or stop, reduce your carbon footprint by around one ton, right? And I mean, yeah. And these are all the choices that you have as an as an individual that you can do today. I mean, to to for instance, Russ, just reduce your your shower time and uh, and but the question really that emerges is this is enough, right? Yeah. I mean, can we can we address actually the true climate challenges through our individual choices? Mm. And if we if we if we think that through, I mean, we we can actually we have challenges with doing this with lifestyle choices because if you if you if you reflect on where's most energy being produced or sorry of carbon being emitted, it's by energy production, right? I mean, it's really by the choice of, for instance, coal versus renewables. So it's not necessarily you, the customer, demanding through your shower, but it's very related to how how basically do we produce carbon sorry do we produce energy yeah. and then we feel there's also the systemic element that you want to address right i mean as a citizen you sometimes if you if you're lucky and fortunate to live in a in a democracy i mean you get the chance to actually impact the system right mm -hmm. i mean for instance in the u.s election it's probably fair to say that if we if we wake up with a biden president i mean this may arguably in most interpretations be carbon or you know climate-wise more positive than it may be in a Trump scenario, basically. Right. And this, of course, that now the US citizen has a chance to, to make a cast a vote, make a choice. And in democracies, we get this every four to five years that we can take these choices. But then as an individual, I mean, you can also help yourself or you can have another impact on the system through financial markets, right? I mean, so mm. you can you can invest actually into sustainable savings. And the next slide, I mean, shows up the question on how much more impactful this actually is, right? Yeah. And, and it's quite staggering. I mean, is it three times, five times, 17 times, 27 times? I mean, the, the actual answer is 27 times right which is which is huge i mean it's it's amazing no yeah no absolutely it is it is i mean it is very very large in relation to for instance what what the impact is of showering less right i mean i mind you please let's uh, let's also focus on uh, i mean probably buying an electrical vehicle and then showering less and maybe reducing a bit a little bit uh, the meat because it's uh, it's not seen as an either or basically but no. but 
it's also in a different area because I think the you know the investment impact is really it's really the systematic impact, right? And you, yeah. you don't get so many chances actually as a citizen to really have impact there. So that's also why I'm advocating and I guess um, yeah, to, to use utilize this option basically in your portfolio. And also these are you know sometimes we talk about um, these are not unicorns not uh, some sort of myth creature that nobody has ever seen i mean i would argue almost all our stars fund range you know you can you can see being actually the systematic or systemic shift into more carbon alignment and i think this is very important actually to realize maybe yeah I'm sure during lockdown, we're all showering a little bit less, using our yeah. cars a little bit less, <laughs> using planes a little bit less. Um, but you're quite right. I mean, these are these are choices that you make, but your investments are a choice as well. And, and you know, it may be that you're investing in something through your pension or directly through through investment funds or, or with individual names that, you know, where it, it sort of counters that and is something that we should all be aware of, especially with the, that sort of impact. Um, it's super important that we're we're focusing on that as well in our investments. So, um, so that's, that's interesting. Yeah, in a in a in a way, I mean, it is a it's one of these taglines, right? I mean, but I always feel like you you should aim to invest in the world you want to live in, right? I mean, that is a sort of a guiding principle. And often, if you think of it, if you think it through, right? I mean, your your savings often maybe maybe related also to even your kids, right? I mean, and then if yeah. you invest in very um, carbon intensive uh, industries, or don't don't pay, don't pay attention actually, let's say to your to your savings carbon footprint, then you know you may actually this may contradict itself right i mean that mm. you that you advocating something that poses challenges for the future of your children while at the same time you're actually trying to save up for them right i mean mm. so so it's this that can even i mean this is a concept to actually just pay attention to exactly so we, sorry are you no, I was just, I was actually, because I know also the sneak preview for me has happened, of course, a little bit. So I know the next slide, right? I mean, so I, was, I think I, I was going to move to, if I'm not mistaken, we're moving to Brazil, right? I mean, which you were kind enough yeah. to call my, my, my moment of fame. I mean, I'm, I'm not sure that, but yeah. So, yeah, exactly. So what I wanted to do was now move actually to, to how you manage portfolios. Um, because you know, dedicated ESG strategies in the fixed income space is is a relatively new development in our industry, um, yes. and so you know, my question really was, what what are the differences are there, you know, in your approach to credit analysis versus sort of traditional managers? And uh, yeah, we've got this example. Yeah, I think Brazil is actually on a sovereign level a good example because it's it's in in a sense novel in indeed that we that we in fixed income I mean focus on ESG and and of course you will hear a lot of also EMD managers like ourselves say yeah but we've been focusing on uh, on governance for the last 20 30 years and I also don't dispute that I mean there has always been a focus on let's say short term election cycles or you know how political transitions happen in 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 Africa or in Latin America basically but and so I'm I'm not questioning that but I, I do think there's actually more to it nowadays right I mean there's the mm. e element and also the s element and maybe also the governance factor gets more long term right yeah. and especially of course the social one is very very topical at the moment with COVID where you 
you know, you also have cases of maybe debt reprofiling in emerging markets on sovereign level, and and the question becomes really, do you want um, do you want a vulture fund to take care of that, or do you want to have a more sustainably driven EMD manager to to be good stewards of capital? And then you have the E section, right, the environmental section. And here, of course, we have the we have Brazil. I mean, on the slide, and and this is also, of course, how we as um, you know professionals in the field can be good steward of capitals and have impact as well through engagement, right? Yeah. And engagement is, of course, one of the key pillars in all our star strategies. And we brought this also to the sovereign space, right? And I I clearly remember also that we got some you know. Some questions at the beginning related to this: Is this even possible? <laughs> and and to us, actually, Brazil shows a bit that yeah, you can. I mean, you 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 can have impact. Of course, it's it's difficult to to pinpoint and measure the direct impact. In did we stop forest fires directly? Was it only our actions? But what I can, I mean. What I can highlight is that we we did have engagement with the highest level of governance in in Brazil, and we we had dialogues when it comes to green bond frameworks and so on, right? So, which mm. was actually very very rewarding. Yeah, and and it just goes to show what an impact you can have, even even at the highest governmental level. I know that the that the discussion is is still ongoing. No, absolutely, and what you absolutely and the discussion and and also I mean which which is very very positive is that others joined us. I mean about uh, about two years ago, I mean when we started looking at this, it it did feel a bit. Uh, I mean I was even sometimes asked or commented on that it may have been a bit controversial at the time, right? I mean, but if you if you look at what has happened in the last two years, I mean more and more asset owners have joined us in this, and and there's been I mean more and more movement actually to Towards, um, in the direction of uh, questioning the actions of Brazil. And of course, you always have to see this in the long-term economic picture, right? I mean, because it's, it's in a short term, it may be positive, you know, that, that uh, Brazil is using its resources and exploiting its resources to, to generate short-term economic growth. But in the long run, the loss of biodiversity and also maybe the reaction function of your trading partners may harm you, right? Mm -hmm. So, and, and this, this element of that this may harm you has become more prominent for on investors' minds. And, and what you also saw on the slide is basically a great example of what the dynamics that can happen because we own a company or part of a, we have a bond of a company called Susano, which is actually, it's on the top right hand or left hand side. I'm not sure how you will see it. So, you know, the, the little headline there on Susano, which uh, is issuing a carbon linked bond, right? And this, you, what you see is basically some of the, some of the citizens of Brazil, and in this case, maybe a corporate citizen is mm. trying to, to work in this field and realizing pressure is increasing and coming up with a, a very interesting structure, which is a carbon-linked uh, carbon linked or sustainably-linked bond, which in this case is linked to the carbon emission. And it's one of the, the two that were out there, basically, which, which means that if, if this company does not reduce its carbon emission, they will have to pay a higher coupon. And I think this is actually a, a, a great structure to address some of the some of the climate challenges that we have actually in this in this field and it also shows that if you have um, a solution oriented mindset i mean you can find solutions because yeah. in basically the 
Susano is still in pulp and paper in an industry that does emit carbon, but basically this is also related to us as the demand side, right? I mean, Susano is the supply side. We are the demand side because we still use a lot of paper, right? I mean, we still mm. use paper for, for tissues, for diapers, for toilet paper and so on. And here we have a company that basically addresses this challenge while being providing a solution basically. It's a nice little segue for me to ask my next question because, uh, of course, you have sovereigns, um, but you also have exposure to to EM corporates. But what That's I've correct. seen from what I've seen so far, though, is you seem to be structurally underweight, and I just wondered, you know, what the difference is in your research work, uh, sovereigns versus uh, corporates. Mm. I think uh, on the if we can project the slide where we touch upon I mean what I, what I mentioned before with you know especially energy production right I mean which is very important in in, uh, in economics or in in sorry not in economics in developing markets basically in emerging yeah. market economies so so you see for instance here that 80 percent of the coal power is actually being produced in in Asia right mm. at the same time you see big large issues in the space of oil and gas being part of the corporate universe, EM corporate universe. And there, indeed, mm. we have a, in, in fixed income in general, and even more so in emerging markets debt, we have um, exposure to commodity intensive industries and factors. And, and we don't think this is the best spot in a long-term trend in in a portfolio because basically in in a in a way you see the whole the whole world trying to transition to a less intensive carbon footprint so our structural investment hypothesis is that in in sectors which we saw on the show on the right hand side like renewable energy or yeah. um or others are basically showing or aligning this to this trend. And we believe that, you know, these, these business models are more resilient actually going forward. And that's why we seek for, for corporates that actually in some form or another have a sustainable development goal from the United Nations sustainable development goal alignment. And in this case, I mean, during the chat that we had today, I mean, we focus in particular on uh, goal 13, if I'm not mistaken, which is the climate goal basically, and that yeah. is, also due because we can we can measure a lot and we can control a lot in this area and again why we have this structural shift or why we're not looking at the commodity sector as such is because we believe that the the business models are more resilient actually in the in for instance something like renewable energy in general sdg aligned corporates mm. Uh, so on the equity side, we, we talk a lot about, you know, our commitment. And when I say our, I mean, Nordea's commitment to, to improving society and working with the companies to improve their ESG credentials. Uh, you had this example with Brazil where, where you've got a conversation going on there. But just more generally, how, how easy is it to be effective uh, when it comes to sustainable investing with these big sovereigns and, and EM corporates? I mean, the the fair answer is it's very difficult, right? I mean, it's difficult yeah. to get in touch with uh, with uh, issues on the sovereign level, right? And it's also sometimes difficult to get in touch with uh, with corporates. And also, what is um, part of our universe or in EMD's investors' universe is a quasi-sovereign debt. And I, I to mm -hmm. give you an example, we can look at Pemex, for instance, in Mexico, right? I mean, which is one of the largest oil producers in the world, and 
the funny thing is um, nobody's really engaging with them. If we don't do it, um, probably nobody will be doing it because <laughs> it's not an equity holding, right? So yeah. you cut out all the equity people, right? They have exactly. no natural in interest in the, in the name, right? And then, of course, the challenge is also for Pemex. It's, it's a state-owned enterprise. So it's actually sometimes, you know, Pemex would point to, now I can point apparently in my virtual setting, but they would, <laughs> they, they would point to Mexico and say, look, yeah, but we can't do anything because the state needs to do something. And then Mexico as the state points back to Pemex. And then you get into a situation where nothing is, um, nothing is developing. And it's a great example of this becoming a business risk because a lot of the you know, a lot of the oil companies like Shell and so on, they starting to roll out plans on how they want to, you know, disclose carbon, how they want to, you know, change their business model into something more, um, more sustainable. And that's, of course, because also they feel a bit the pressure maybe from societies, a company like Pemex is falling behind. I mean, so they basically, because they don't see the need necessarily, they don't see, they don't feel the pressure basically. So when you look at um, the work we're doing, for instance, in, in the Climate 100 initiative, we're trying to focus on these companies and just moving them back into the space basically where they, where they should be in catching up with the more commercially minded, uh, minded companies, right? I mean, but this is a, this is a very, very, yeah complex difficult task actually to just get the attention basically mm. yeah i I'm, I'm sure that this is something that will change over time as well because as the lobby grows you get more more say and uh and it has more impact so um i think it's great that we're out there leading the way but uh i'm sure that that will become more and more effective as more and more asset managers move in this direction yeah, I would certainly agree with that. Yeah. Absolutely. That's also why, I mean, why, for instance, when I gave this Brazil example, I mean, maybe maybe it's something to be sort of proud of or happy about that we caught this early, right? I mean, that we were one of the first to engage and to move in this direction. But quite frankly, I mean, to, to really exercise, if you want to call it pressure or to have an impact, I mean, it's better that we're a larger group like we've become and basically, you know, address these challenges together basically yeah so usually we would have uh, a summary slide where we have the key taker base but we haven't got one today so Tida, any anything that to add basically i could partner up with a sustainable solution provider in the emerging markets debt i think that is my my summary excellent well thank you very much Tida. that was great and uh it's, it's super interesting to see you know how you go about uh, investing with ESG considerations, both on the on the sovereign and on the corporate side in emerging market debt. So that's that's been great. Next week we will be continuing our series on EU ESG regulation, which will come into force next year. So that's definitely one that you need to be uh, on top of. So. I will once again be joined by Michael Mordener and Cecilia Siegbahn, and uh, they will be giving us uh, the latest update on EU ESG regulation. In the meantime, don't forget to visit nordia.lu. There you will find the Stay Alert microsite, and there we have podcasts, we have Q&As, and we have all of the previous videos uh, that we've recorded over the weeks. So that's it for this week. I'll see you in seven days.